And I, I learned this thing from Tyler, the creator. He was like, why would you post about your album a couple times and stop promoting it? He's like, bro, I'm still promoting my album today. So I kind of had that mindset. Why would you stop promoting it? It's entrepreneurship. If you want that freedom, you have to, you got to do all this work. One of the most lit promoters, DJs, producers, I'm going to say in New York, but you be going all over the country. You've almost transcended and you've become like a brand. DJ Mike Nasty. So I was like, yo, I want to be like the most known DJ. And now I'm like, like, all right, I want my party, like my brands to be the most known brands in the country. If I'm a promoter, if I'm a DJ, any sort of business, you want to generate anticipation and excitement with an audience first. How are you going about that? I feel like for me, the most important aspect is one of the things that I'm experiencing now with building my like podcast production company is there's a lot of things that people don't see. I sacrificed so many vacations, bro. Like throughout my 20s, like all of my friends went on so many trips, bro, to Europe and all this stuff. And I just, bro, I just didn't do any of that. And now I'm just like, bro, I got the freedom. Is there a piece that's missing? Is there something that still needs to be filled in? so that you can get to the point where you're like, this is happiness. I think for me, that final piece is like me. Welcome to the Callum Johnson Show. Uh, we have, I don't even, you know, I don't even know how to do it justice with, with these words, <laughs> but one of, the, one of the most lit promoters, DJs, producers, um, I'm going to say in New York, but you be going all over the country, <laughs> so it ain't even just New York. <laughs> Um, DJ Mike Nasty, welcome, man. How's it going, man? Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. And um, you know what? Before we before we get into it, I wanna. I think one of the things when I came across you and I did the research, and I've just been following you for a, for a little while, um, and also going to your events, is you're much more than a DJ or like a music producer. And that's why, even as I'm reading it out, I'm like, how do I do it justice? And the moment it really clicked for me that you have something different going on is um, I was talking to someone in the gym and we were talking, cause I'm from London originally. Mm -hmm. um, and I moved to New York like a couple of years ago. And at the time, like I was trying to find like, where are the parties? Like where are the events that I should be going to? And usually when you ask someone that they say, oh, have you checked out like this venue? Or have you seen like this person? And I remember they just said, I just go to Mike Nasty events. I was like, Mike Nasty. <laughs> I, I, searched, I searched you on, um, on Instagram and obviously I saw everything. But I think it's a different, a lot of people, right, when they're choosing what events to go to, it's like, oh, my friends are going to this. Or it's like a holiday weekend. Or uh, this is like the place that's just local, close to where I live. Mm -hmm. When you can get to the point where people are like, this is a Mike Nasty event. I have just enough trust in that and I'm going to go there. <laughs> That's like you've almost transcended and you've become like a brand. So since then, the way that my brain works, I'm like, hey, we definitely need to, he needs to come on the podcast. He needs to break down how he's, how he's been able to do that. Um, so let, let's start with like the marketing and the, and the promotion and uh, how you've built this brand. Just to begin, I'm curious was like, was it intentional? Like having that effect where someone's like, it's a Mike Nasty event. I ain't even going to do too much research or looking into it. I'm going because it's a Mike Nasty mm -hmm. event. 
Was that like an intentional effect on your part? This episode is brought to you by Free Agency. If you want to take your career to the next level, Free Agency is a company that you should check out. They manage and represent talent in the tech industry, and they provide you with a dedicated talent agent to help you find, engage, and win top of market roles that will maximize your earning potential. No more leaving money on the table. Stop job searching alone and start building your dream career today with Free Agency. Anyway, back to the show. Not necessarily. I feel like when I came up, everybody in, I, I came up throwing parties like the back end of high school mm-hmm. going into college. And I feel like everybody had party promotion groups. So blah, 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 entertainment. And in my mind over the years, and a lot, for a lot of DJs, we're like, yo, why, why are the promoters more important than the DJs? Like we're like the crowd's coming to see us. We're rocking the parties. We're standing up there for five, six hours, spending the whole night. Mm-hmm. Why are they getting the most money? You know what I'm saying? Why are we not like, it'll be promoters. They won't even put the DJ's names on the flyers. So like, yo, that's weird. So like in my mind early on, I was like, I have to be the most important aspect of these events. Like, cause everybody's coming to see me. So I learned early on in college throwing homecoming parties at a, like a, a big level, having like six, 700 kids coming out. like. I've just been doing this for so long to by the time I got to New York, I just kind of already knew like brand Mike Nasty with everything I do. And I kind of hate that I didn't drop the DJ from my name early on because people try to put you in a box and it's like, oh, he DJs. It's like, I'm like, bro, I have a label. I'm an artist. You can look on Spotify, Apple Music. I'm there. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I've done commercials, little acting things here and there. Like, like I started a, a tea company during the pandemic as a like a case study for e-commerce. Um, I have a community bike ride I do called Bike with Mike. It's like I do so many things within the community and beyond. I I kind of wish I just came into the game as Mike Nasty. So you know, but we we learn our lessons later on. But I think. Just being like a, I call, I call myself like a lifestyle DJ, mm. um, or just a lifestyle entity in general. It's like you can't really put me in this box. You can try, but you'll always see me doing something else. And I think that just kind of transferred over to to just my events. So where it's Mike Nasty presents, no filter, jumping thumping, the midnight bowl. Like I have so many brands for my events and they they all live under their own instagram accounts but you could tie everything back to me you know Mm. i just like i'm just a a curator of good times i guess Mm. you know what i think that's a it's a unique way to think right even i would assume even amongst djs because when you're a dj i would assume the first thought is like i just want to get booked i just want people coming to my events whereas you're almost thinking about it it reminds me of that Jay-Z quote of like, I'm a business, man. Like, right. this is Mike Nasty. And then there's like, under that umbrella is all of these different brands and um, offerings. I'm curious, like, where, what inspired that way of thinking about it? Like, is there, is there someone you're looking at and you're like, oh, the way that they've done it, that's how I want to do like my thing over mm-hmm. here. Or is it something else? Like, where did that come from? Um, I have a business degree. Like, I, I came up in um, University of Tennessee in supply chain management um, doing that program. 
but my minor was entrepreneurship. So I've just always kind of been trained to like run a business or run my own business. I mean, of course, at the time, I thought I was going to graduate school and, you know, get a job like everybody else. But luckily, I DJ throughout school and I was paying my rent <laughs> while I was in school, you know, mm -hmm. being a full time DJ on the side. Um, so I just feel like over time, like that just kind of st stuck for me, you know. Mm. You know what? Let's go into I want to get into like the nuts and bolts of how you're actually doing it and how you're like building these brands. And it's interesting, as we were talking before, when you, in relation to your music, you were saying like you see it as like a rollout. And the reason I say it's interesting is because I think you take a very intentional approach to marketing and building promotion. And if you even take if you even think about what it takes for someone to to come out on a Friday night or a Saturday night after they've been working the whole week. Uh, like this is their night that they're going to go out with their friends, spend their money. There's a certain level of excitement that you're generating. There's a certain level of anticipation that you're generating so that someone comes to an event. So take me into your thought process. Like if I'm a promoter, if I'm a DJ, it, even more than that, any sort of business, right? You want to generate anticipation and excitement in, with an audience first. Mm -hmm how how are you going about that like what is going into generating that excitement i feel like for me the most important aspect is the flyer honestly mm. um over time i feel like my personal opinion i probably have the best flyers in like american party history yeah um <laughs> even after the pandemic uh god rest his soul my homie rick 808 we started making 3d flyers video flyers which were the first of their kind like and going off the backs of that i got more into like actually hiring art illustrators to like hand draw these flyers and i'm pulling inspiration from like 70s 80s album artwork books jazz artwork books just like 80s films like um old 90s r b uh, like album covers and flyers for for party parties like i have a it's like a book. I think Stretch Armstrong, he's a OG legend in New York City nightlife and just worldwide. Like he had a book. It was like New York City flyers from like the 80s and the 90s. It's like these old like handwritten flyers. Like I draw inspiration from that as well. And like I get these real like like my flyer guys from Nottingham, mm. you know, in the UK. And I'm just like, yo draw this like recreate this album <laughs> yeah. and it's like it's just taking a different approach versus just like putting some half-naked bikini model on a flyer holding yeah. bottles of Ciroc you know like yeah. it's like taking it a step further like I think pulling on that nostalgia like those heartstrings of like people's childhood I feel like that's always been key in like my promotion of just like I'm gonna have the best flyers and it's gonna strike some type of emotion with like within you like i don't care what it is like it could be like i've dr drawn inspo from like the 50s and it's like nobody that comes to my parties have lived in this era but it's something in your dna something in your family something you saw before in art or film it's going to strike a nerve with you and I, I feel like that's most important and then you know of course it's like building your email list over time 
mastering Facebook ads. Uh, it's a lot of things that go into it. Of course, like the music as well. Um, I'm thinking from a promoter perspective versus a DJ perspective, but I mean, on the other side, you have to book the best DJs. Like, mm-hmm. there, I try to. I heard this from like I think uh, I think it was Kid Capri. OG DJ legend, he was like, there shouldn't be more than like two two or three DJs on a party. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And it just gives the the space for each DJ to, I guess, tell a story throughout the night. You got your opener, you're playing like, you know, dance hall and like R&B, and then you got your headliner in the middle spot, and he's playing all the bangers, and then you got to have a great closer on the back end of your parties that could just keep people there, mm-hmm. keep the bar constantly making money, because that's another aspect of nightlife. Like these venues got to make their money. Like I, with all of my venues, for the most part, I'm keeping the door. I get all ticket sales, and you know they keep the bar, and we'll do like a bar split or something. So it's like other ways to make money outside of just hard ticket sales, and it's just just mastering that like within 15 years like now it's like i can't lose i can go to la and i don't even live in la but i can go throw a party in la once or twice a month you know what i'm saying i could go down to atlanta and throw a party you know what i'm saying so like i've I've DJed in london like DJed in amsterdam toronto it's just like being able to just be versatile, but still having like these core marketing foundations that you could apply to anybody. And it's really like understanding psychology in a sense, like how do people think, mm. you know, like putting these genres together, like, okay, most African-Americans, although my parties are diverse and we have other races come, but for the most part, it's African-Americans, Afro-Caribbean, like diaspora coming to my my party so it's like okay i gotta book djs that play afro beat dance hall hip-hop r&b so that's like the the core of most of my parties Mm. but then i also throw dance music parties i got my house music party is deep soulful classic house music so i have to book djs that stay within that realm to where I don't book a DJ and he's playing some hardcore EDM stuff that nobody wants to hear. Mm. So it's just being in, intentional with uh, just the music curation as well, you know. Mm. You know what, um, and it's, it was even funny as you as you were saying it, and you said like, um, you think you, you make some of like the best like event posters, like in the history of this shit, like period. I think I could stand on that for sure. <laughs> I think I can. <laughs> I said that with confidence. Um, but you know, you know what's interesting? It's like, you're right in the sense that when I see like most, if I go on Instagram, right? And I click on an event and I see a poster, it looks kind of like they like spun it up on Photoshop, maybe like that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just put it out. Your ones, I almost think about it, the level of production, it's almost like a mini commercial in a way. Um, like it is really curated. Like it is, you can tell like time was taken and as a consumer, that's not even one of the things that you would necessarily think about, right? Like mm-hmm. you wouldn't even be conscien- conscious of that. But if you think about it, like first impression is hugely important. Mm-hmm. And so if, you, if the first impression that you see or the first impression that you get of an event is usually the poster or the post, now I guess that we're in the Instagram uh, digital age. And so it's actually hugely impactful mm-hmm. to have that 
to have that experience be uh, differentiated and like superior basically to every everything else that someone's doing absolutely i treat it like a like a like a shock drop that nike would do like a sneaker drop it's like i'm already i i have my different promotional channels like the 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 email email blast is already scheduled out that's going to go out like monday or tuesday mm-hmm. i got over 40,000 emails for that's just new york and then i have my ad campaign already revving up over the weekend. Mm. Sometimes I'll start it on Sunday. I have a budget allotted to where I'm I'm, known, I'm going to get a certain amount of reach and impressions based on that budget. Then I have my own social media following. So that'll be word of mouth, bro. And then it's like Sunday night, you know, seven, around seven o'clock, Mike's <laughs> going to drop some, some fire flyer and get us hype. Yeah, and then you got other people that don't even follow me that are seeing my ads already, so that's circulating. Because I always run ads, and I tell people all the time, there's only a certain amount of parties like your core fan base is going to come to. So you always want new fans, new fans, new fans. So like every week, I'm always exporting these new um, these new uh, Excel files for emails and adding them to my master list. You just want to keep that turnover, new fans, new fans, new fans, because it's only so many times people will, you know, come to Lot 45 or Brooklyn Bowl. Like, it's like, all right, I want to go out of Manhattan tonight. Yeah. Like I, or, you know, people from the Bronx or Harlem, they don't always want to come all the way out to Brooklyn. You know, they might do it a couple of times in the summer. So it's like you want to constantly be turning over. And like we we live in we live in New York, bro. So this is like a entertainment hub for for america international hub so i have people bro people from the uk are like yo i'm coming in town like i heard your parties are lit Mm -hmm. i've seen it on social media or like bro i know guys in japan that are hitting me up like they're like yo whenever you want to come out here bro like like i got you you know what i'm saying so it's just knowing where i'm at and how to capitalize on that and curating a night to where it one it has to be a safe space, but also it has to be a space that's I'm all about diversity, and I look at it and I tell my homies I'm like, bro, money is green. Money doesn't have a a race or color to it. Like it's it's one color, you know what I'm saying? No matter whose hand is touching it. So I'm just like, bro, I don't care who comes out to my parties. It could be half of the room is white, half Asian black whatever i just want it to be a safe space where people can dance and the focus is not on hookahs bottle service and all the other glitz and glamour mm. that you see in nightlife like i just focus on having a good time and people dancing that's what i was brought up on um and that's what has inspired me you know what i'm saying yeah you know what's uh interesting we had a um, we obviously get we get a lot of really successful entrepreneurs on on the podcast um, a few weeks ago, we had one, this guy, he sold his, he sold his company for over a hundred million dollars. Um, and he started other companies since. And I was asking him like, what has he learned about building successful businesses? And what he said, he said, first time founders focus on product. Second time founders focus on distribution and distribution. I see that as like marketing, like that's having an audience for your product, like someone who wants it even sometimes before you even release the product that there's an audience sitting there and one of the things that i've just seen and i've seen it in sports i've seen it in entertainment 
is um, people almost get frustrated with the marketing aspect of it. And what I mean is, is that people feel that, and I understand the feeling and the thought process, which is like, um, it should be purely about the craft. So you're kind of seeing it right now in boxing, where it's like, you have these YouTube boxers who have huge distribution, mm -hmm. they have huge audience, and they're able to be some of like the top earners in boxing, but their skill is not actually at the level of like world-class boxers, but they out-earn them because they have the marketing and promotion. Right. And people are like, oh, it should just be about the boxing. And obviously you're, you're a great um, DJ, but you also have the marketing and promotion and arguably, I guess you can, you can speak to it. That may even be more important than the skill of DJing in terms of um, making money and being successful, uh, throwing events. But I'm curious for you, when did you start to realize that the marketing, the promotion, the distribution angle was equally, if not more important than even just like the sets and the music that you're doing is actually getting people to want to do it. Because I think that is, that is like a realization for people that tend to be the most successful in any field, mm -hmm. that they realize that like the business side of things, the marketing, the distribution, that is also needed for me to reach the top. It's not just about how fire are my mixes. Right. Like, when did that realization come? I'll say by the time I got to New York, I think I've been here, I think I'm coming up on seven years. They say it takes seven years to become a New Yorker. I feel like <laughs> people will always, New Yorkers, real New Yorkers will always hate on transplants for some reason. I don't know. But I feel like it, it happened when I got to New York. And I won't even say it was um, like a business mindset I had. I just got tired of DJing like super long sets or DJing my entire party. And I was like... Yo, if I hire people that are just as talent, talented as me to make my parties even doper and have like essentially three of me, myself on the lineup talent wise, like I could better focus on running my events. So like, you'll see me, bro, like I'll spend an hour and a half, get off and I'm just running to the door, like mm -hmm. to make sure things are like, sometimes you'll even see me wristbanding people taking money. Like I'm, I have my hands in every aspect of my business, bro. And I just help. I feel like that visibility helps things run smoother. Like just people, a lot of people don't realize it, but like how your door is ran is 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 a major key into making more money as as a, a party promoter or nightlife curator, bro. Like the attitude of your security, having the right door people, knowing how to talk to people, um, managing lines, VIP, like all of those aspects, like. Like I hire, I have to hire another door person like on certain nights of events because it gets people in faster. And I'm like, mm. I'm like, I'm losing money because although like I used to record videos like, yo, the lines down the block, it's like 700 <laughs> people outside, it's lit. And I'm like, yeah, I can't do this because this the one it deters people that are on their way from coming out. They're like, oh, I can't get in. Mm -hmm. Two, the people that are waiting in line for an hour, like. Bro, you might have a hundred people that might just leave and go somewhere else because they're just not willing to wait. And I'm just like, nah, I gotta hire another person and and also stop posting the line mm. or post the line after the event. 
And I'm like, I just saw, like, I'm, I'm making more money. I would see like in my revenue, I'm like, okay, we got a couple thousand more tonight, you know, like we're, yeah. we're good. So just paying, paying attention to the little details because I could have easily stayed inside, let my door people run the party and I'm in there turning up, drinking alcohol, but mm. I wouldn't be able to see what's going on at the door and like, wow, I'm really losing money. Mm. Nah, like... I just I just appreciate that like the detail level of it um and I think you find that anyone that reaches like the the top of their craft they have that level of care for it and I use the word care like intentionally like they genuinely care about those details and it it comes through in the experience of the audience and caring caring about the audience in general like I try to put myself in the customer's shoes all the time especially I have like friends that promote in LA and Atlanta and different markets and they're like, bro, how do you do this? And I'm just like, bro, you got to care about the customer. Like some people don't care that their customer are waiting for an hour, hour and a half, but it's like, I care. Hmm. So it's like, I have to spend more money to get my customers in here faster so they can be more comfortable and my bar can generate more sales, you know? Hmm. Okay. So obviously I think, I think you're hugely influential in the, in the New York market. Talk to me about how does the, how does the spread of the Mike Nasty brand go to LA, go to Atlanta? Um, like, how do you start to build your name and that same level of excitement and the brand? Not just like doing like one night, like lit party every now mm -hmm. and then, like really building a brand where um, even like with your sunset social event, like you'll do that in LA, but it's also in New York. Like, mm -hmm. um, how did that come about? like going to those different cities and building that excitement? I think it was a mindset. I always told myself, and I, I feel like this changes every couple of years, but I was like, yo, I want to be like the most known DJ in the country. And now I'm like, all right, I want my party, like my brands to be the most known brands in the country. And then I have friends that have migrated to LA or friends that are still in Atlanta and they're like, man, I don't like the parties out here or, you know, being a, in an international hub like New York, people from LA will come in town. Like I remember I used to use MailChimp for my email blast and I would, I would have it segmented out to where I could see where my, like where the customer's emails were, were coming from. And I'm like, what, bro, I'm like half of my email emails are LA based. I'm like, mm. all right, it's just paying attention to the, the data. So you're like, okay. It's, it's no different from an artist looking at his Spotify streams and like, okay, these are my top five cities. I need to do tours in these cities to grow my fan base there because mm. there's something there. So like, I'm always looking at the data and I'm like, okay, I have a lot of LA emails. People are always commenting, when are you bringing this out to LA? Uh, and so I'm just like, yo, I got to take this leap and do it. So like I went out there and I already had like venue walkthrough schedule and Literally that the week I was out, I used to go to LA for weeks at a time. Now I could only do like two, three days. It's just the trip is so much, but mm. I would just have venue walkthroughs, like four or five venue walkthroughs the whole week and just striking deals with them, seeing what fits. Um, and then I would start running ads to my like LA audience, running like look at like audiences based off of my, my New York audiences. You can run look at like audiences and, um, Facebook ad manager and stuff like that, or Meta. 
Um, so I would just make look at like audiences and retarget people um, that just come to my parties over time. And I just feel like the L.A. fan base just just started growing organically to where, you know, we would throw a day party, sell out 400 tickets on the first couple parties. And then you do a night party. It's like sell out 500 hundred people in there and just just being consistent with it to where the venues were offer, offering me monthly situations. Um, so I think starting was like last November, I was in LA like every month, every month. And yeah. to where people in New York were like, yo, you moved to LA? Yeah. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> he went Hollywood now. <laughs> I'm like, no, nah, I, I didn't move. It was just, you know, yeah. I, I guess I'm doing the bi-coastal thing. Yeah. Um, to where... I started easing up a little bit this year and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna take this month off because that, that trip is taxing on the body. Well, at least for me. Um, but yeah, man, just looking at the data and just being intentional and consistent, I feel like that helped me build on my audience in other markets. So Yeah. You know, as I've listened to you talk, I'm like, and, and maybe I just need to talk to maybe I need to speak with even with more DJs. Because I'm just thinking, how many DJs can like talk about their email list, like how they're segmenting the email list, talk about retargeting campaigns, mm-hmm. um, like understand, so I have like a marketing background that is like deep into marketing, right? And like even thinking about the rollout where it's like, okay, Sunday, like we're putting this out to build anticipation for this event on, mm-hmm. like that is like a marketer's, that's how a marketer's mind works. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things I love about doing this podcast is you learn from the guest right now, but you also get to see the person underneath and get a sense of like some of the context. Like how did they become, cause right now we see like the polished, like the, the more finished and complete version of you, right? Like everything, the marketing is polished. Um, your delivery, your presentation, mm-hmm. like even the way that you run a night, uh, like it's been polished and honed through experience. But I'm sure it wasn't always like that. And so take me back to like some of those first events that you were doing when it wasn't polished, where there wasn't the email list. Mm-hmm. Um, even when you say you were doing parties in like college and people were coming through, like how were you, uh, what was it like at that time? Like what was even happening? How were you getting people to come? Um, I don't yeah. think I back then. I don't think I necessarily had a plan. Uh, I was just a kid having fun. I was in school, uh, but it really started with house parties, bro. We would throw. We called them sets. Um, we would just throw sets, and I would just have all these seniors and juniors coming to like I'm a freshman throwing these these big house parties, and um, over time I would drop mixtapes as well. Like this was the mixtape era. Like I'm getting. CDs like burn CDs with little graphic inserts. My homie was a graphic designer, and so what we did is we mastered. This is when Twitter just was bubbling, mm. and we mastered this mixtape. It was the first of its kind that I can't, I can't really name somebody else that did it, but basically we would make mixtapes for the parties. So I used to throw a party. I still throw no filter to this day, but I started no filter like back in school. And then I used to do another party called the campus takeover. 
So I would drop a mixtape called The Campus Takeover. Mm. So we would have physical copies and digital copies. So the people that would, this is when people used to get in Twitter jail. I used to be in Twitter jail all the time. I was on t- tweeting crazy. So <laughs> that's like what they shadow buying your account or some shit. Like what is that? They like, you couldn't post for like 24 hours or something like that. Because like I'm just tweeting out these mixtapes. So what we would do is, Let's say I had a party next week. I would drop the campus takeover mixtape. And then to, to do the digital download, my homie built me a website, campus takeover website or whatever. And so people would go download the mixtape. But in order to download it, you had to do a tweet to download. Mm. So it would tweet out this message and oh, so flood the timeline. Yeah, okay. Hey, I just downloaded the campus takeover mixtape. See you at the party next Friday. Mm. Hey, it's the same message. It's flooding the timeline because everybody, this is like, nobody's really doing Spotify, Apple Music. It's not the era. Like mm. people still had iPods and stuff like that. So it's like, yo, this DJ, he's up on the new music. He's breaking records. And I want this mixtape to listen while I'm walking to class, you know? So we would just flood the timeline, it, like literally every party. And then just over time, uh, that was just our marketing strategy, but we were still doing guerrilla marketing, like walking around campus. We, we used to sell these uh, rubber wristbands, you know, the the wristbands these companies give you out or oh, you yeah, go yeah. Give, give to you like uh, you go to a car wash, they give you a free rubber wristband. Yeah. We used to have those we would make for the party and sell those for $20. Mm. So I'm walking around the UC, everybody knows I have a party, you know, but I feel like college is a little different because you have this community or these small communities, pockets of different people on campus to where um, the word of mouth is a little bit easier than just being a DJ in a a major city. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? So I say I I learned the promotion game early on and I was able to apply that later in life. And I feel like a lot of DJs, they get into the game now, not having the mindset that I need to throw my own events versus relying on other people to book me. Because when you're throwing your own events, that's just extra, that's like a a, a bigger spotlight on yourself. Mm-hmm. But you know, a lot of people are scared. You do gotta put up a lot of money, bro. Like my ad budgets are, bro, this year alone, I've spent over six figures in just Facebook ads, bro. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, which is, is, is crazy, but, is needed because I want that turnover of a new fan base. You know, like I I have ads running every day, bro, this entire year for like an album I dropped last year. Mm. And I, I learned this thing from Tyler, the creator. He was like, why would you post about your album a couple times and stop promoting it? He's like, bro, I, I'm still promoting my album today. Mm. You know, so I kind of have that mindset because it's like there's an infinite amount of people that can hear your music. Why would you stop promoting it? You know what I'm saying? Especially mm. if you believe in that. Bro, I, I got vinyl pressed up for that album, mm. you know? Uh, I, I bring the vinyl to parties. People pull up on me with their cash app and buy, buy vinyls, you know? Like, it's I have merch for my label, you know? Mm. I, got a, I got a website for myself and a website for the label. It's like, you, you got to have all these moving parts. And it's a lot to manage, but I mean... It's entrepreneurship. If you want that freedom, you have to, you got to do all this work. Mm. Although it is fun. Like I enjoy making Facebook ads, bro. Yeah. But it's hard. It's a whole, bro, it was like a foreign language when I first got into it. But I talked to a lot of different people that do work in advertising or at ad, ad agencies or um, 
Like I'm even partnered with a ticketing company now, uh, Kid Labs. Like a lot of people people don't know, like my tickets and RSV my RSVPs now are submitted on blockchain. People are adopting mm. blockchain technology. They don't even know it. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So just always staying ahead. Um, and I essentially have my own ticketing platform and I, I have all the data that most like other ticketing companies aren't going to give you. You're not going to be able to see these things. You're not going to be able to put a pixel on a ticketing site with other companies, you know, so. Mm. Yeah. You know, you know, it's interesting. It's like, um, there's this thing I almost call it. It's like hacking distribution. There's, um, there's ways when you, when you explain about like how you're making mixtapes and like promoting it on Twitter and in order for someone to like click it, they were also like sending a tweet, which like helps with the promotion. I would call that like hacking distribution. It's like finding a creative way to use the platform to get a disproportionate number of eyes on your content. Um, and it's something that like, I think the best marketers do, right? Like you'll even, you know, it's an interesting example. Uh, we were talking about Drake earlier. I think Drake does this well because his album covers are almost like memes, mm -hmm. right? Like as soon as he puts out an album cover, it becomes a meme. People start making fun of it. Even those music videos where he'll be like dancing, mm -hmm. people turn that into a meme, like hotline bling. The music video is a meme. Um, but it's actually like really good organic marketing because right. then people just start sharing pictures from all his videos and his album cover is free marketing. Um, and that's actually, that's actually a skill. And I think it's, I think the lesson for people, because I think there's some people that will listen to it and even hear the thing about like the six figure uh, Instagram or Facebook ads budget. And they'll be like, I can't do that. Like I don't mm. have the resources to do that. But you can hustle and like find ways to hack distribution so that you can get maybe not the same effect, but you can get outsized impact and effects mm -hmm. without having the budget. I'm curious from your uh, standpoint, and maybe you can even relate it to, you spoke about college is a bit of a different environment because I guess you kind of, with college, you almost have like a captive audience there, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's like a campus, you kind of have people there. It's different when you're in a city and you're trying to build your name and you're competing with a ton of other events. And so talk to us about even like coming into New York and like getting your footing, uh, building up your name and like just being in a city environment and starting to build that buzz and being able to differentiate yourself. Like, take me back to those moments, like Mike Nasty coming up. I feel like when I got to New York, like I said um, earlier, I already knew how to move. Um, I think with New York, my focus is on securing residencies early on because that's the, the most consistent way to be in front of a, a weekly crowd. Mm -hmm. um, so I started out, although I was attending a lot of events, trying to network and Hey, I'm a DJ. Like that stuff doesn't really work. Um, you really have to go direct to like these. Uh, I do like that New York has talent buyers, so people. It's their job is to find find talent and, and bring you in um, consistently. So I would be spending at spots like pianos, uh, Ken Folk, uh, Shemansky, uh, Lot Forty Five. But mm. my first like official residency was at Lot Forty Five, and 
bro. We were in there every single single week, bro. Sometimes twice a week. And we just built up this name over time. But me already having experience in the game, I'm like, all right, once I get this buzz, I have to start throwing my own events. Mm. So as I'm building up this residency, I was uh I started my my event, We Like to Party. So I started that party, throwing it in Manhattan. The first one was at Pianos. Um, and then we immediately went to Chelsea Music Hall when it opened. And every month, we like the party. We like the party. We like the party. And I'm just building up this email list over time. Like, just just starting small. And then by the time I'm packing out, I think the, the capacity over there is like 250, 300. Mm -hmm. So... It's small in comparison to what I'm doing now, but I, I knew over time these emails will, will compound. It's just about being consistent. It's like, then after a few years, I had like 10,000 emails, which mm -hmm. at the, the time I thought it was a lot. And then from there, I just started branching out to other venues and bro, I was smooth selling because these emails are like personal invites. It's one thing to see it on the algorithm like of Instagram. People are just mindlessly scrolling. Unless they just really are invested in you as a fan, nobody really cares unless other people are talking about your party. But it's something about that that personal email invite like bro for years like bro I'll be in the park and people are like, "Yo, I get your emails, bro. You're dope. Keep doing what you're doing." And then my friend uh Abe that lives in Atlanta, he's like Bro, your emails are, are are so simple, bro. You don't put any thought into it. Like you put like five sentences, and I'm like, bro, that's what works. Mm. I was like, bro, the attention span. Remember, it's this big. I'm like, bro, short and sweet. I was like, people don't. Why are you sending this long thread of email? Like, bro, nobody's gonna read that. Mm -hmm. People are at work nine times out of, out of ten when they're they're getting your emails. Mm. All you open my email. Big flyer that everybody loves yeah. and small details. That's it. RGP, ticket purchase, simple. Yeah. And my open rates are ridiculous. Like I've had people, like companies are like, your open rate is what? My open rates are on average around 50%, sometimes over that, which is insane. Yeah. Like as as anybody, like their open rates are probably less than 10% yeah. on average, but Bro, I just have, it's like, and I don't bombard people. Like, I don't spam people. Like, sometimes, bro, for one party, I'll probably get six emails within a two-week span. Bro, that's too much. Send out, at for one party, at most, I might send two emails. And that's for, like, a large party where I'm trying to sell, like, 700 tickets. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, bro, if it's, like, a 500-cap party, I'm sending one email. People are not annoyed. Like, of course, I have, like, hundreds of unsubscribers a week, but like I've retained my core 40,000 and that's just worked for me over time, bro, to where my open rates are ridiculous, you know? Mm. You know, I want to, I want to make something for the, uh, the people that are like just starting out or they're just trying to start building. Um, and they're even listening to this and they're like, okay, I need to get the email list going. Cause I actually, to your point, I see, I get emails from venues and like, I might get an email from like an everyday people, for example, mm. which is, like they're almost like a company that's like doing events. Mm -hmm. I rarely get emails from like a DJ or like a person mm -hmm. who's throwing the event. So when you're starting out, how are you 
even getting the emails. That's because people are like, they're giving their email when they purchase the ticket. Like, how are you building the list? It's two ways. Like, you can get it that way or like early on I was doing RSVPs. So I'm like, RSVP for this event to get in for, you might do reduced entry fee or you might do free before 11 p.m. if you RSVP. So people are like, yo, I don't want to pay. And you just, they're giving your, you their data for free, mm -hmm. essentially. And it just, over time, RSVP, RSVP. Because people essentially, people have the idea, they think RSVP equals I get in for free. That's it's not how it, it's <laughs> not where it started from. Yeah. It's a thing, it started in Europe. I think it might have been France. And it's basically just giving the curator of the event a head count. It's just letting us know that you're coming. Mm -hmm. So we can, you know, have preparation. We might need X amount of staff. Like venues ask me all the time, like, how many people are we expecting so they can prepare? That's what the RSVP is for. Mm -hmm. But, you know, new age people and promoters have turned this into like a, a ticket, essentially, you know. But I always make, like, when you go RSVP for my events, you see it's like the cost is $10 before 1030. Mm. RSVP does not grant you free in entry. You just got to let people understand that sometimes. Yeah. You know um, what's cool about how you're doing it? It's like, um, I see it with a lot of the, the best entrepreneurs. It's kind of their mindset, which is they're like building leverage is almost how they think about it. Like they're, um, if you think about what it takes to run an event, there's people would think about who's performing or who's the DJ. That's only one aspect of running a successful event, right? You have the venue, you have the people at the door, you have even just getting people to the event. And so what you've been able to do, and this is why I said at the beginning that you're way more than just a DJ, is you've taken multiple parts of the process um, and you're able to complete them successfully. And so that means that when you're even working with venues uh, or partners, you have way more leverage because essentially at this point, I would assume, and you let me know, like when you're working with someone, you literally just need a venue, right? It seems like you could handle every other part of the process outside just having the location. For, for myself, yes, but I wear many hats like, Bro, sometimes I'm making video flyers, editing, editing, editing them myself, or um, I don't have to go hire an ads manager. I'm doing the ads myself, or uh, even sometimes, bro, I'm I may want to lower the DJ budget. I'm I'm probably gonna DJ longer that night. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Versus, I see, bro, I see promoters. It'll be a party. It's five promoters, eight DJs. Five hosts. I'm like, how are y'all getting paid, bro? Like, <laughs> you splitting this twenty ways. Where's the? And it's like, you can get a bigger bag if you just like simplify that. Mm. But it's like you got to go out. Like, they're probably not watching ten hours of podcasts uh, during the week like I am, or um, getting buying these books, learning like financial literacy and all these other things that go like into being an entrepreneur or going to piano school to perfect being a, a like a, a better producer so I, where i could drop these remixes and original music which people want to come here come to my parties and hear me spin like it's so many things and hats i'm putting on that most people they're just like all right i just want to be a promoter post on my instagram a couple times i got a decent following but 
I got, I'll just go hire four more promoters so I don't have to do all the work. Mm-hmm. Or I, I'm going to get four people to put up the money when I can just put up my own money and get, get a bigger piece of the pie, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I tell my friends all the, all the time, I'm like, bro, we're not going to throw parties together. I'm like, do you throw your own party? I throw mine and we all get, and then they're like, bro, you're right. Like I'm making this amount of money now. I'm like, see, it just takes time. You got to do it for a couple of years and like, but it feels better when you could call the shots and not have to butt heads on the ideas and, you know, because eventually everything has to scale. But imagine if I had a business partner, he's like, I don't think we're ready for LA. Mm. We don't live there. I'm like, bro, <laughs> we have the power of the internet. You could touch a, a million people with a Facebook ad, you know? Mm. So th- that's why I like being... um like the sole owner of what I do, but hiring different people with different levels of expertise to do different things. Like, bro, my, the guy that recaps my parties and shoots the videos, he's a bro, he shoots music videos. Like the, the same guy that shoots my music videos, he recaps my parties. He's a cinematographer. That's what I, I call him. He is a monster. He is super expensive, mm. but I need the best recaps so I can get the biggest return on my audience of coming out. They, they're like, bro, that, that looks like a movie. Who shot that? Mm. I need the best. I need the best flyer. Like, I'm going to pay 300 bucks, 400 bucks for a flyer because I want the best flyers because you're going to make it back. Mm. You can't be afraid to put the money up. You're going to make it back. If you cover all these bases, it's literally the foundation for me, what I think, emails, ads, word of mouth. You cover those three bases, you should be fine with throwing parties. Of course, there are other things that go into it. You got to have good flyers and all this other stuff. You got to have a decent amount of ad budget to hit the maximum amount amount of people. But that, that just comes with trial and error. You got to you got to start somewhere, though. You know. Yeah, you know what? It reminded me when you said that. Um, there's a quote that like scared money doesn't make money, mm-hmm. and so. It this was an it was an interesting realization for me, which is like a lot of the times, um, it's like you have to almost change your mindset on how money and value is created. Usually, the person that's taking the risk and putting the money up is also the person that's benefiting the most if it goes well. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why, like, you might have a founder of a company or someone that owns a company who's not even working that many hours in the business but is getting disproportionate return versus someone who's maybe putting in like 60, 70 hours a week as an actual employee. Um, But it's their money that they're putting up. And I think that's also like you really, and I think it's clear, like you really take an entrepreneurial approach and a business approach uh, to music and your craft and DJing and event promotion. which explains why you've been able to get like the results, uh, the results that you have. I'm curious, one of the things that you, one of the things that you said is, and I, and I picked up on it, it's just like the learning, like you're constantly learning, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're listening to podcasts, uh, speaking with people, even just being like a historian, like seeing what came before, because a lot of patterns are repeated. Uh, throughout history I'm curious for you like what would you say in your life are some of the most like impactful influences like if I if I look at 
the Mike Nasty that's sitting before me today, who are some of the people, and it can be people that you know personally, it could be people that you've just been watching them, celebrities, uh, entertainers, whatever. Who are some of the people that you look at and you're like, those people really informed and influenced uh, the person that I am? Man, that's tough. Um, I can't really say, and I don't want to sound crazy, but like I can't say there's a direct influence uh, for me as a DJ or just a person in nightlife. I'm more inspired by like people that get money, bro. So mm -hmm. like I respect guys like the guys earn your leisure that, that started that whole financial podcast movement. Yeah. Right. Like I look up to guys like that. I'm like, like, like Ian Dunlap, the master investor. Like I look at people like that. I'm like, bro, this guy's a genius. He's cracked the code for stocks and he's giving the information back to black people and helping them make money. And I'm just like, like I went and saw them at Madison Square Garden and I, I just felt so inspired. Like uh, Don Peoples, uh, black real estate tycoon, like one of the richest black people, period. Like I look up to him, like um, I can't say it's like direct influences in music. Like, of course, like guys like Stevie Wonder and like I look at his longevity and like I, I like, I want to mimic that to be in the game so long and just be that talented without like selling out on your sound or getting cheesy or commercial. Like Stevie has been consistently great in that regard. Like I look up to guys like that, but I wouldn't say like there are direct DJ, DJ influences because I'm in this to do me. Mm. And I feel like that's the most important part. And I look at DJing and throwing parties as an, avenue for me to have freedom to not work for like anybody like i don't look at this as work this is me sharing my creativity my ideas with my audience and like yeah i'm making money doing it but like i'm i'm happy and everything i do every day it doesn't feel like i'm doing work you know what i'm saying um long as i take breaks so i don't, I don't get burnt out like i have a trainer bro like i I'm in shape. I play basketball three days a week. Also, like I'm just doing all these things to, you know, stay healthy so I don't get burnt out because I I, I know I'm putting a lot of energy into my craft. But I look look at me building on my craft and just sharing my craft. So, yeah, man, I, I'm just inspired by people that make money, bro. And mm. they make money doing what they love, you mm. know, so. Yeah. Now, that should be a t-shirt or something. I'm inspired <laughs> by people that make money. Um, you know, I want to get into, because I, I think it's inspirational what you've built. And I think one of the most powerful things, it's not even just the money piece. It's that you're doing something that you genuinely enjoy and that there's enough longevity to it that you're still reaching new levels. Like you've been doing it for uh, 15 years but there's still more to go. Mm -hmm. Like when I even listen to your story, I'm like, I can see you having your own venue. Like there's, there's more, there's further that you can take it. And when you're doing something you love and you can keep doing it and keep improving, I think that's a beautiful thing. But one thing that I know from doing this podcast, from doing my own business is, because uh, people evangelize it, right? Like people, um, they love the entrepreneur stories and they'll see even the thing on social media where people be like, oh, I'm a boss. 
Like everyone mm-hmm. wants to be a boss and it's like, I feel like we only see the positive and the highlights of being the boss. One of the things that I'm experiencing now with building um, my like podcast production company is there's a lot of things that people don't see. Mm-hmm. You're also the one that's ultimately responsible when things go wrong. You also, it's difficult to clock out. Like there might be a weekend where uh, your friends are doing something. You can't do that right. because you're the person ultimately responsible. Um I sacrificed so many vacations, bro. Like, bro, like throughout my 20s, like all of my friends went on so many trips, bro, to Mm. Europe and all this stuff. And I just, bro, I just didn't do any of that. And now I'm just like, bro, I got the freedom. I can travel (laughs) whenever I want to. Like, yeah, bro, like I went to columbia for like two weeks a year ago loved it i was city hopping bro bed in kia cartagena santa marta i'm just like yo i got this freedom to just do this like you know what i'm saying and i i think that's i made the right decision bro i, I saw michael b jordan uh, he was in in an interview he was like bro the partying and all this stuff he was like i'm sacrificing that so i could live the life i want to live later on mm-hmm. and this even this accountant, he told me, he was like, use your business to live the life you want to live. Because mm-hmm. the, the average person can't do that working for somebody else. Of course, mm-hmm. they're like your anomalies, like your people that make two, three, four hundred thousand. They might be a surgeon or something, but they still have to report to somebody and do some type of job. They can't just clock out for two months and travel Europe if they wanted to. Like, I have that freedom, bro. Like, like last year, I took three months off, November through January, chilling, bro. I didn't need to make any more money. Mm. My taxes were already paid. Yeah, <laughs> DJs, pay your taxes, please. <laughs> that is super important. But everything was just set up, bro. And I just I worked on music, worked, made a, a EP, traveled a little bit, spent time with family. But I have. I have that freedom because I sacrificed early on. Mm. You know, talk, talk to me more about talk to me more about that sacrifice. You said um, you said I made the right decision, but sometimes it doesn't always seem that way. And I'm sure for you, like in your twenties, when you're you're seeing your friends and you're seeing photos of people on vacation, turning up on the weekends, um, even maybe just spending a weekend just doing whatever they want. Uh, getting off at five o'clock or five thirty from work. Uh, just talk to me about some of those, some of those other moments where it wasn't so clear that this was all going to work out, that you were going to make the right decision, that you were going to have this freedom that you have now. Like, talk to me about some of those moments. I think for me, I'm a religious man, bro. So I just walk by faith, not not by sight, bro. So I think just putting it all in God's hands early on, bro. Like you're not always going to see like the goal, the plan, the the end of the road, bro. But I just, I think for me, I always chose happiness. I say this all the time. I've been saying this for years. Like all I want out of life is to be happy. So whatever comes with that and allows me to be happy, mm-hmm. whether I'm rich or poor, that's, that's fine with me. Like mm-hmm. I'm content with that. And just sticking to that, bro, and choosing happiness and me knowing, okay, I have to sacrifice on this fun to be happy, 
long term was able to it made me um I guess well equipped to make those decisions early on like bro I'm I'm not gonna have fun you know or I could have fun domestically mm. bro I have fun playing video games I got a mm. PS5 I can have all the fun I want but I'm not spending money <laughs> doing mm. that you know I, but I still go through that now like my my homie my homie the other day was like, yo, I'm going to London next week. You should pull up. I'm like, bro, I got parties. Mm. <laughs> I'm making money. Why? What, what am I going to do that for? I'll go to London another time, you know? Mm. So just still making those sacrifices. But I mean, I do have more wiggle, wiggle room now, you know? Mm. So Yeah. Now that's interesting. I remember uh, I saw a clip recently from uh, Gillian Wallow. Uh, they do the Million Dollars Worth of mm -hmm. Game podcast. I think that was actually... I think that was where Michael B. Jordan said, because mm -hmm. he went on that podcast. And um, I think it was Wallow that was saying, he was like, some of you, like, you never miss any summers. Like, all people that are successful, like, they missed some summers. There was some summers when they weren't outside like that. Some of you have, like, really big ambitions, but every event you're at, every summer you're turning up. And, like... I have friends, I'm telling them, because, like, I hire my friends to work for me and like it'll be times they're like uh, I don't know if I'm going to work this weekend I'm like bro get this money come on like you've you've been to the, all of these parties like you're going to see these friends next week like let's let's get this money like this is a like I pay y'all well it's like come mm. on I need you <laughs> there's not many people I could trust well. to take money like yeah. this is like a an, an important job an, an important aspect to to my business but I, like Bro, I, I, I see that and I'm just like, yo, you gotta, I tell people all the time, like you can miss that fun. You can, you can not buy that purse. You can not buy those shoes. Um, like, bro, it was, it was times, bro. Like I was like, I'm going to buy like a couple pairs of shoes and that's it for the year. Mm -hmm. And then as I worked harder, I started getting brand deals. So I remember I was in Atlanta. I got a deal with city gear. Mm -hmm. It's like a, like a like an urban clothing store down in the South, they were sending me shoes for free. I'm like, all right. See, I, I put that money back into my business. Now I'm getting things for free. Mm. And then I, I got to uh, to New York, met some people that worked at Nike and Adidas. Adidas guy's like, anything you want on the website, let me know. And I'm just got Adidas boxes rolling in. Mm. Guy from Puma, Under Armour hit you up. Here's free stuff. And it's like, I that sacrifice allowed me to get stuff I would normally have to pay for for free now, you know? Mm. It, and now I just bought what I want. I, I'm at Amsterdam, I'm in boutiques balling out, mm. but it's the, the sacrifice, you know? Yeah, no, that's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. Um, one of the things you spoke about, you said uh, being happy. Like that's what, that's the meaningful thing for you, like um, happiness. I'm curious, like if you just had to put words to it, so I think everyone, we have a different definition of happiness, mm -hmm. uh, what that means, what's a happy life. Um, even when, when do I feel happy? I'm curious for you, if you had to put words to what does it mean to be happy for DJ Mike Nasty? I think for me, number one, it starts with health. I feel like the better I feel, the happier I am. Um, I bought a juicer. I eat sea moss and drink tea every day, uh, oolong tea. Like I'm just all into these different herbal remedies and stuff. And like, like I train with my trainer three days a week 
And I feel like the healthier I am, the happier, like that goes into being ha happy. Like, mm -hmm. um, like I, I eat these mushrooms. I take these mushroom gummies. Like that helps with your cognitive health. Mm -hmm. Like all that stuff goes into your mood. So like what you put in your body can help you produce happiness for yourself. So it's like the better you feel, the if my weight's intact, that's step one. And then, you know, of course, like the mental health of my family and myself, making sure everybody is good and uh, on good terms. And then, you know, throughout life, you, you find love. And like that could be another like additive to your happiness as well. You know what I'm saying? And just family, love and your health. Like I think in God, of course, number one, like that's my if it was a square, like that would be my square of happiness, like those four things. And then everything else just adds on to your happiness. Yeah. You know, there's going to be people that listen to this episode. They're going to be like, I'm trying to live like this. See Moss and all this. But you got, you got to find self-love. Like I, I'll say, if anything, the pandemic showed me like, if I get through this, like I could do anything, man. And just finding self-love, spending time by yourself, biking around the city, um, and just working on your health and stuff, man. It just, it really puts you in a place to where like, you're grateful for where you are in life to be alive and to have your health. And then you get out of that and you're like, all right, I'm never going back to that. Like if, if it's in my control, you know? Mm -hmm. And once I got out of there, bro, I was, bro, I feel like it was a boxing match, bro. I was just swinging at everything, just, mm -hmm. and that was just the, I won't even say the peak of my success, because like I'm still going up, but mm -hmm. just coming out of pan the pandemic, like I didn't take nightlife for granted because it got taken away from me for something out of my control. Mm -hmm. So I was like, God, if I ever get this back, I'm going like out of the stratosphere, and I just. I haven't stopped working since then so yeah you know what i think something that i have an appreciation for is the painful moments as painful as they are they're deeply necessary and even what you just spoke about which is like i'm not going back to this or once i get my opportunity back i'm going like a lot of people that have achieved phenomenal things it's there's part of it is coming from that place, right? Which is, they know what it's like to feel the other side of it. And so now the motivation, the discipline, the consistency that they're coming with, it cannot be matched because they've, they've felt what it's like on the other side. And so I'm curious to hear from, from your story, when you say, I'm not gonna go back to this, or uh, once I get my opportunity, I'm gonna go after this. What is, what is the thing? Uh, what is the painful moment? What is, I would almost call it like a grounding moment where it like, it shows you what life can be. And you're like, I don't want that. I want this. What is that moment for Mike Nasty? The thing that you're like, this is, I felt this personally. This is not where I want to go. Like I want to mm. be over here. Like, what was that moment? I mean, I could say it's the pandemic, but did I put myself in that position? Like we, it was out of our control. So I could say that that was that down mo moment, but I feel like 
from a financial aspect, a lot of us could have better prepared for that moment, especially as an entrepreneur. So like looking back, if I had like that nest egg that I was supposed to have to where I didn't necessarily have to be in New York still paying super high rent mm. <laughs> through a pandemic, I could have better prepared and I could have been in Tulum. Like I knew friends, friends went over there and they were paying $500 in rent mm. and I could have got away and better prepare my, prepare myself financially. So I guess that moment could, could be that for me, but still that's not a moment I put myself in mm. technically. Mm. Um, outside of that though, I don't think I've had too many crazy moments. I feel like I'm from the South. Life is pretty simple mm. and chill for us already. Um, of course, I went through hardships of like, you know, having roommates that didn't pay rent and you're getting evicted and stuff or things out of your control. And then you got to go to court and pay back all this money for something somebody else did. Mm. Um, but then again, that's something, certain things are out of your control, you know? Mm. So I think, you know, in life, if you just focus on what you, the things you can control yourself, like things will be a lot easier for you. So just from my experience of other situations and other people putting me in turmoil, I feel like long as I make sure Mike is taken care of and to his full capacity, then what other people do and other things that affect me, like I can get around that, you know? Mm. Yeah, I have a really, um, I have a really similar thing. And I think it's also part of why, like I wanted to be an entrepreneur is I don't mind things not working mm -hmm. or failing because I understand that that's part of the game, but at least let it be me. Like at least let it be, I didn't make the shot, I guess, if we're talking right. like in a, um, like almost like a basketball sense. Like at least let it be something that I didn't do. Mm -hmm. I didn't execute well enough. I didn't think about this possibility versus something completely out of my control, almost like took the game from you. Mm -hmm. um, I get it. Um, you know what, here's where, here's where I want to end. Um, it's funny, this, this picture came to my mind. I have, um, I have a younger sister. She loves puzzles. So we'll, it'll be like our kitchen table at home. Um, and she'll have these huge puzzles with a bunch of pieces. And she'll spend days, if not weeks. Like we won't be eating dinner on the dining table because mm -hmm. she has this huge puzzle. And it's a cool process because you get to see the pieces coming together. And it will get to a certain spot near the end where there's just like one chunk missing. There's this beautiful picture, this amazing landscape. Everything is there, but there's one piece missing. I'm curious for you, there's so many elements of your life and we've seen it, right? And I've mm. heard it and the audience has heard it. There's so many elements of your life that are filled in. The puzzle pieces are there. The business is there, the marketing, the lifestyle, um, the health, the freedom, the friends, the community, everything is there. I'm curious for you when you reflect on it. 
is there is there a piece that's missing is there something that still needs to be filled in so that you can get to the point where you're like this is happiness is there even a point where you're like this is it like i've kind of done everything i think for me that final piece is like me having kids and a family and a marriage one day um I'm still from like a traditional family, grew up in church. Grandfather was a pastor and everything. Um, and I grew up like going to those fan family reunions and having like 500 relatives from all over the country, like, you know, coming to one place and just having that bond. And I, I feel like for me, like that ultimate happiness is tied to family and lineage and leaving generational wealth uh, for like my future. Um, family so i think that that would be it for me and having my my parents be able to be grandparents to my future kids and stuff like that i think i think that's that 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 last piece but um i'm not rushing that at all <laughs> that when the time comes it'll come for that <laughs> it's not gonna be like next week <laughs> but yeah i'm being impatient about it like i'm i'm still young i'm still healthy and uh I'm enjoying life right now, um, but, but that that's definitely on the horizon for me. Yeah, yeah. No, it's gonna be cool, and um, it's gonna be cool even just like seeing the progression of of this podcast. And hopefully, we get you on in the in the future, and we can we can kind of check back in and see where it's going. Absolutely. Um, but now it's been a pleasure having you on, man. Thank you for having me. This is great. Man. This is incredible. If you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to the channel. We're having fire conversations every week on the podcast. Before we end the episode, a quick word from our sponsor, Free Agency. What if I told you there is a good chance you're leaving money on the table in your career? It would kind of annoy you a bit, right? Well, Free Agency aims to stop that. They represent and manage talent in the tech industry. Here's how they do it. First, they provide you with a dedicated talent agent. Think about this as your career quarterback. They understand you and your career goals, Based on that understanding, they bring you suitable interviews at top firms. You focus on smashing the interview and together with their network, research, negotiation expertise, they will make sure you get a top of market salary. Stop job searching alone and start building your dream career today with free agency.